0: Good news, you're here just in time. Here's another Laneway Talks. Morning, Kent. Good morning. Um, For all listeners today, we're talking to uh, one of our uh, artists, Kent Steedman, who has been a part of the Celebrate Rifles for uh, 20 or 30 years, might even be longer. And we're just going to uh, explore a bit of his life. We actually don't know a lot about Kent, quite frankly, so we're going to find out today and we're going to let you all know about it. So, Kent, welcome to the show, Lane Wayne Talks. This is where we uh, get to know all our artists. And um, yep. we like to we go through a, a fairly similar profile on each artist when we interview them. And yep. we, we start off with, where did you grow up? Uh, you know, where did you live?
1: Well, I grew up in Sydney, like their branches for As
0: a, a young guy or young kid... Did you play the guitar because you are a guitarist, and or did you take the guitar up later on, say, in your teenage years? No, I was teenage. Okay, yeah, fifteen
1: or sixteen, I bonded with. That gross about the new people have when they were teenagers, I guess, isn't it? And, and you that's, Yeah, and that's... You're You can't well, can't, well, get against the guy, here, the same guys are here, the next thing you come back, they're a footballer with you.
0: Well, that's quite late, really, you know, in teenage years for someone um, as accomplished as yourself. And did you actually have lessons or did you simply, you know, take it up yourself and teach yourself?
1: I had a few. I started, a, you're stretching the memory, but I, I had a few, you can... First, if honest, I was sitting around with a couple of mates playing guitar and pulling bongs, really.
0: Yeah. Um, then I'm not oh sure. God, well, I don't I'm not sure what you mean by bongs, but you know. But we'll yes. just, we'll keep on. Going. We yeah.
1: You were participating in some adolescence adolescents
0: Group activity. Um, yeah, group activity. Group activity.
1: Yeah, group group play.
0: <laughs> and so yeah. as so as a bunch of guys, what were a couple of guys had musical instruments, so you you know start playing guitar or or whatever. Is that how?
1: A couple of the guys, you know, I've been up with him. You know, at various at times, some of us got in the guitar played video soccer or whatever. And I even played Aussie rules in Sydney, which was really weird for a, a teenager in Sydney but back then. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, your Victorian. People will be somewhat impressed, perhaps.
0: Tell me... Tell me, what was your what was your musical interests then back then? Did you start liking music, say, from the age of ten onwards, or was it when you were a teenager you really discovered music? And what was the music that you were kinda of listening to at the time? Music
1: was always part of the house. My my father liked music. Wasn't well, necessarily music I liked to listen to, but there was always you know and some records known of some description and um, you know, back when families did those kind of things sometimes we'd sit around after dinner and to into a, some music or whatever it was um my brother was a couple of years older so he had some stuff i guess i remember yeah the beatles were around did a bit of that yeah one of my earliest memories of hearing um i think it was a master's apprentice turned up the radio and that was really rocking and i remember i don't remember if we paused yeah, you know, Jones disliked it so much that I liked it, but that is the sort of stuff I seem to really like.
0: It's 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 interesting because you're really talking quite a Australian type of music and whatever. Whereas my first, um, uh, where I suppose I really got a love for music, uh, was discovering. I suppose seventy three Judas Priest, and yep. um, and you know I mean the second album had come out maybe seventy four, and Sad yep. Wings of Destiny. But at that time, at seventy three, we'd also, as guys down the beach because we lived down the coast, um, we were listening to Kiss. Nobody'd ever heard of Kiss, and we were going yep. nuts with this stuff, right? And yep. but we but we also loved our local music. So at the time, uh, there was the Red House Roll Band, or Red, then became Red House. Of course, it was Stevie Wright. Um, ACDC had kind of started a little bit later and we, we, you know, got right there and there were Skyhawks. So, and it's, uh, but, you know, you mentioned the Masters Apprentices, whereas we didn't really get into the Masters Apprentices at all. Um, It wasn't where we were at. So I find that quite intriguing. It's a different kind of flavour and... So where did you go to from there after listening to that? Did you start to get this real vibe on music and go, right, uh, I'm really loving this? And I just sort of, I can't
1: really remember, to be frank, but I just remember that you get these things, what are they called, 20 Red Hot Hits? Or this oh, that. yeah. And yep. what was on it, like, I think, Race was a Devil in the Gun and yep. right yep. the like that. Whatever rock, I wanted. Yeah. And I generally do all the other stuff on it. So and then when I could you know, I remember I think Machine Head was something in they called the radar, the yeah. engineering thing. Yeah. But I got into the Blois cult quite early. Yeah. So I became a very big Blois cult fan. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's quite inspiration for me, I guess. And, and while I have a lot with step along to the punk and the,
0: the Birdman-esque type stuff because I did like the rock as <laughs> well. Yeah. So when was your first band? Uh, when did you join or form your first band, Kent? Um, I don't know. Or was the um, Rifles your first band, essentially?
1: Essentially, I think there was, one, there was one band with one of the guys in the rock school and the first band, we were the Southern Highland Group. Which is pretty funny because when they put that poster up they had to scratch the first letter of each name. But, um, then the next thing was one of the rifles.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. And how did how did the rifles actually form? Was it was there was there an ad or did you guys meet somewhere or how did it happen? Look, I really can't remember. Ian the guy who we
1: were in school together. Yeah. Oh, I feel the drummer. I knew him and he said probably told me he played drums. Yeah. And someone knew this other guy, Michael, Mikey, from another school, his face. So we managed to get, somehow get together and I think Phil's powers played and made some noise one afternoon. He was like, yeah. yeah, yeah. 16 year old kid. You tell him there kind of wasn't, there was no semblance of steel or any of that stuff. When are they going to grow up? It just, yeah. We'll let them make some noise and loud.
0: Tell me too, what was the, what was the guitar that you were using when you, formed or, you know, started with the rifles, what was that first guitar that you were using? Um, the first thing I got was some really gap in
1: And I had a, like, fairly quickly, I mean, a pretty good Ibanez one for
0: Yeah. Uh, and I like, and now, I like Ibanez. Let's pause the old ones. They're actually quite nice.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, it was a good guitar. I don't know if Dave still got it because we thought sort of swapped. Eventually, I ended up with him and he got a Moss, right Um, Dave, well, at the early years, he wasn't around, but there was another person. Because was a certain age, where we could go, out and start singing in. I think in Sydney when I was about sixteen, I could get into pub. When I was seventeen, they had some uh, licensing stuff, so they started asking for to do okay. Yeah, I look when I was, uh, I was bloody twelve or younger. So
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I had it's enough. quite common in the uh, musical press how how young you looked and you were the baby of the band. Yeah. So yeah, that's No, I don't know. I don't either, but I have read that and there's a lot yeah. of comments online about it, how young you look. Yeah. Um, so you've started with that because quite frankly, and we'll move I will just move ahead, but then we're gonna come back to that period. Yeah. Is the the kind of guitar going from a I I'm not I'm sure I've ever seen you play a Les Paul, quite frankly. Um yeah. so you actually drifted away from that Gibson Les Paul flavour, didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I came back to it for a little while. I had my effort from it for about a year.
0: Yeah.
1: So I had And I went and bought a, well, I think something like a 50 U.S. ball. Yeah. Um, so I used that for a while. I
0: think
1: around heavy. Time. I can't yeah. fully respond. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I didn't like heavy. Yeah. Jumper, you know. So, 16.
0: yeah, so you, you've stuck with, I mean, essentially you've not been a, a real Gibson player, have you? You've been more offender? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my first two absolute were why, um, why do you find? What do you find? I I try to get this out of everybody. It yeah. it can't be the look of the guitar. It's got to be the feel of the guitar. So, what did you find different going from a Gibson to a Fender? Um, well,
1: I, I went basically in Epiphone. It's just sort of halfway between a So I played the Effie with the beginning humbuckers, not the big fat humbuckers. And I, and I eventually that, but that was the long time. I just played that epiphone for the first 10 years. And um, I've long until we got another epiphone between 90 and a couple of other things.
0: But, but was it the pickup sounds on them or was it the neck?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess it had to be the sound I was after because I was looking for something slightly different, not knowingly, but we didn't sort of want to sound like any, everyone else. And I liked, I liked driving the amps and you know, when you run, um, you're still trying to work out how to do it. But that amp with the, the amps I had and the I had, if you, if you pushed it hard, it, it went well. But then it just wasn't loud enough at a certain point. Those little amps went loud and So I had to get other things.
0: Tell me, are we talking? With the rifle starting up seventy nine, yeah, yeah, around maybe this big. But you're
1: talking about are a bit before the Seventy nine, I think, been, around seventy
0: nine, maybe I a mean, hundred before it was. Like, and what? 70%. And tell me, what do you? What did you consider yourself as back then as a band forming? What style of music was it? Surf punk? Was it just rock punk? Was it punk? Was it uh, something else?
1: Don't know. It's the rifles. I guess would be hard to categorise. It's been half our problem. And um, we never did either. We just played the music we liked. Some of the stuff, even in the early days, we pretty much started off lighting songs rather than doing many covers. Yeah. Yeah, you did a couple of Birdman and Stones and stuff like that. But um, whatever any of us could play, it was easy to play your own scenes not other people.
0: I mean, what was happening at the time, there was Birdman, there was The Saints were coming to the end, um, there was The Chosen Few out of Melbourne, which are, yeah. yeah. Your alternative anti-establishment punk band, yeah. You know, I mean, there was a bunch, there was a bunch of stuff
1: in Sydney. I mean, I used to say at some point. I don't remember chronologically, but there was the Lipstick Killers and oh, yeah. the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Fantastic. was too young to do anything. I was too young to do any of the big stuff or the Saints. I just it was at that period of time where I couldn't get in anywhere.
0: I mean, did you yeah. did you find like from my background, I suppose being in end of entertainment industry, not in bands, um, every time uh, if I was, we'd say Mushroom or whatever, we're completely focused on Mushroom Acts. When I was at Shock, I was completely focused on Shock Acts. So I actually didn't know what was happening outside of that and as yep. a band yourself, did you did you find that, that you are so focused on what you're doing, it's very difficult to know what's going on around you?
1: Well, um, to some degree, it, it, there was a period of time where, you know, once I started working and had a big me man, the friends, we'd go out every weekend and just see on him.
0: Yeah, Yeah. So he's
1: Yeah, he could. yeah. It, It's impossible for someone young to understand, you know, that the, the what's on in Sydney when we're reading it out on double Jones, it goes for half an hour to 35 minutes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: So there was hundreds of venues to go through bands at. You know, and, you know, it was the same as You often chase the ones you like, remember? I've always had varied tastes. I do like... All kinds of
0: stage of music. So, with you know, back then as a band, the, the rifles start. They start playing a few gigs, you know. And um, was it a fairly lengthy um, escalation to building your own audience, or did it happen within, say, about six months? We go, there's actually something happening here. We're connecting. Yeah, um,
1: I think I think it was more like that over the course of six months in a year. Because things could happen a bit faster then. Yeah, we did a residency at this Southern Cross, Strogan Hill, I think. Oh, yeah, I
0: yeah. Was, yeah, knew it well. Southern Hills. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it was a small venue, but we seemed to end up playing there quite a lot. And I have a vague memory Dave from The rock, we've written every gig we've ever done. Yeah. He's a guy. But, yeah, we did a residency then, you know. It was just one of those things. That, uh, we were a band, we were playing people were coming we're getting a little bit of interest well, just from you know more people coming up and then we just thought oh fuck it fans are supposed to make records so we just saved up whatever money we made and one of the guys we knew um Damon knew him he worked at the opera house oh
0: yeah
1: and he was doing some, Yeah, you know calling. i think he used to be playing you know, rose tattoo and some other stuff and he sort of liked it so he knew a guy and he knew a guy <laughs> so he got his cheap old studio and had the <laughs> you know, it's
0: new. And was that, that what album or was that a single? That was Jacques the Fid.
1: Yeah, gotcha. We recorded seven songs and put four out.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I find that you can tell, as a, as a band, you can tell fairly quickly whether you're connecting with an audience. Uh, no disrespect to artists out there that have gone for years. Mm. They drift on for years playing. Actually, you don't have an audience and never are going to have an audience. And they still drift yes. on with a hope and a dream. But, you know, it. the thing is a connection between an audience and an artist or a band, to me, happens fairly quickly. The word spreads fairly quickly. The music needs yes. to be quite um, individual and artistic on its own level and that, to me, is what connects the audience because um, if it's the same old... No, I won't use trash, will I? The same old trash, I will use it, um, and we've heard it all before. So we don't want to see that because we have our favourite bands who are doing that. So you've got to have your edge, and the rifles had their edge. Um, It was, I suppose, quite fast back at that stage. Uh, I think that, what was that first video a Kent's Theme that you gave us? I mean, that probably spells it out there at the beginning, doesn't it? You know, and give- Yeah
1: we were ridiculously fast. For the first few years, even, you know, when when I've been in the of finding stuff, remastering or whatever it is. Yeah. You listen you listen to the live in New York you know, first C B thing we did. Yeah. Yeah, it's there to understand how you, know, you can play that part. That yeah. was what we did every Well interesting in
0: interestingly enough when you say that, yeah. I was talking to Billy Miller from the Ferrets, who yeah. um had Billy Miller and the Great Blokes which was later on. And um, he does some quite fast songs with that band. And I said, you really got to, you know, we were doing some live show. I said, you really got to do that song. He goes, I can't do that song. He goes, I can't play that fast anymore. (laughs) He goes, I can't do that. And you do, there is this thing where you go, wow, I was doing it that quick. But um, I mean, as you go on, I think you refine, you're still fairly fast, but you refine how you do that fast chord change yep. or progression or whatever and it's a lot more yep. refined but let's go back so therefore you record your first album we're in the early 80s and um yep. or late 70s or whatever around that period and things are really happening around town and do you get approached by any record labels no 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 right so you keep it's going awesome. and you put your own record yeah, it basically,
1: uh, we put our first EP out and sold a few and think i don't know how somehow we cotton under the did record shop maybe i was going to remember, I remember the did <laughs> like, yeah as they had a dis- they did some distribution yeah yeah we took them in 25 or 50 EPs, yeah and they really deployed them really quickly so if you drink some wine you the only we had if we had to be not oppressive yeah that's the only time we the sales the off if i got on the charts you I think Jacques' decision made like number 38 on two ninety or something because one week it sold 100 copies or something. Yeah, 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 gotcha.
0: So, and that was, this was our success for the life. The so therefore, you think, right, well, you don't even think or you might have been thinking about getting signed, but it's, it's on to playing and getting a new yeah. record. So what's the next record you're working on? we're interested in the and that was to do the album. So with that, I mean, um, was that a lengthy process to actually write it or were you guys writing fairly prolifically and got these things together? Um, I mean, I know you now and you there's nobody working harder than you at the moment, I can assure you. Yeah, okay. No one's ever fully pocketed. Well, mate. Um, well,
1: well
0: maybe. the other thing is I guess your first
1: album you got your whole life to write. It. So you know, it's it's of it, someone has poets a few years of playing and various influences and within the band ourselves, so we got some, there's like a, a tape which I'm trying sure um, you know, to put up from a very early gig at the Southern Club Hotel. Yeah. And when I listen to that, there's like six or seven original songs, that we never even recorded. Really? So, uh, we probably are We had a lot of songs and just kept writing them. But Trina
0: Excellent, or however you say, call that album, right, I'm pronouncing yeah. correctly, um that was put out as a band, so it's that you're just putting it out yourself, so you've gone out and you've pressed an, L- an LP, yeah?
1: The first EP was black, quite a rock, so I think it was big man had to
0: put it out. So that was on hot? Yeah, that so was on you, you hot. So you had succumbed to signing to um, a label? I don't know if it's signing the it distribution deal. Right, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I believe we paid,
1: we paid for recording. I don't know if they'd the pressing, but they distributed
0: it. Right, so that's it's become quite popular, I think, at the time on its own indie level, correct? Absolutely, yeah. yeah in, that, in that world, we were pretty, we were doing pretty well. Now, tell me, were you head? <laughs> well, you headlining by that stage or were you still doing double gigs or supports? Yeah, by the We do our own small
1: shows and then, again, yeah, we had a magnet, we stuff. We did a couple of things, you did 20 winners and really started doing some supports. If we could get them,
0: it was not our style I, I, mean, I mean, did you find Kent that um you were getting those crazy supports where you go, What the hell am I doing here tonight? I'm playing with air supply?
1: Yeah. You know no, um, we didn't do anything we didn't want
0: to do, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you if it was like one of those gigs where you go, Why would I do that gig? You just didn't do it because the um booker yeah. the booking agent uh, is just putting you out there for the sake. I mean, I don't understand that. When you get two completely different styles of music and they're supporting each other, why are you yeah. wasting their time and the audience's time? Yeah,
1: yeah. it's. It, you know, It may have happened, but I don't remember it. You know. You we know, we played. What? We like this one. He and we Like Rasta too. And we'd like someone we'd play
0: with. Others wouldn't be I think. Well, I remember going to a gig and seeing. Paul Kelly and the Dots supporting Rose Tattoo. Now, with all due respect, um, yeah, it's pretty you, that's, that is a crazy combination. Uh, yep. r- there's no similarity in the music whatsoever. Now, mm. Rose Tattoo was so loud, I had sore ears for the week, and Paul Kelly yep. and the Dots, not Paul Kelly, were just yep. fantastic. I mean, um, yep. it was. I mean, as you said... You could go to any gig you wanted because they were happening on every street yes. corner, and they were just yes. fantastic artists, really accomplished and really professional. So, with um, uh or however you pronounce it, um, by that stage, cool. <laughs> yeah, are you? I it's
1: it's the company You went
0: to Oh, All right. Well, tell me when you when you've gone. You know, you put that out and you're playing around and whatever. Are the rifles a fairly polished band at that stage or are you still polishing your b- boots at that stage?
1: Um, we were polished as in there were tight and full on, but I don't think we quite hang our lives together. It a bit erratic. That was probably what people liked about it. You know, it was you learn to harness your power up, your focus differently. But we were pretty good at
0: it. I mean, you know, Kent, it's, um, uh, if I see bands now that either give me um, silent air between songs. I go, what the hell do you think you're doing? You're in the entertainment business, uh, mm-hmm. or they're talking about rubbish that has no correlation to anything on the night. Now, so there's two to me, two forms of being professional and providing your audience with what they want. Well, they want they want the music because they're coming there to see you play music. Uh, if you're going to yep. talk, they want you to talk to them relevant about your music and them, right? And not self-ego and talk about yourself. And um, but you can be about yourself if it's about the gigs and whatever. And for example, you can roll straight into songs, song after song, and it's got to be tight because you you are entertaining. And then if I um, I never saw the rifles way back in the day, uh, but uh, when I saw you guys later on, you know, demo telling the stories was um that's fantastic. So. There was relevant yeah. stories between each song and quite interesting. I mean, he was actually quite a funny guy, wasn't he, with those stories? No, he was just like, you know. No, he was just... Yeah, you know, and so you're getting this double entertainment factor. You're getting the songs that you wanted to come and see with the band. And you're getting demo talking about stories about on the road and and, yeah. and the band and what's happened during the recording. And it's, it all fits really well, but that takes a long time to hone that skill. It really does. I mean, there wasn't any, uh, as I say, silent air in between your songs because he knew he had to talk, keep it going.
1: Yeah, the early days, I don't think he talked as much.
0: Well, no, no. that's right because you, you're honing your skill, correct? Yes, correct. So, well, there was always something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, now tell me... Are you thinking... So you've got that album out. What's the album after that? Let me do the... And are you thinking about overseas or are you still thinking nationalistic in Australia?
1: Uh, it's hard to know. I think overseas may have been dream, but it is, like, completely unrealistic. But there was some good reviews overseas in the second album, which then started the thought, you know, maybe you could think of them.
0: It's a, it, Look, it's... Um, It's a hard business in that respect if artists, uh, I mean, if you really want to make it, you do need to go overseas. You have to go overseas and you have to be very prolific about going overseas in the sense you've got to do it multiple times or you've got to live over there. And it gets very difficult with artists. Uh, I suppose this won't sound too good. As soon as the artists get either girlfriends or they get married, that dream is gone. And, it can be, you know. It can be. Let's say nine point nine times out of ten it can. There's it the point yep. one, but nine point nine out of ten, the dream will just that's it, it's out the window. The pressures on the band and on the artists to to go away. I was talking to Chris Stockley from the Dingoes, and he was telling yep. me about well, I did, you know. <laughs> I didn't kind of realise, because I go back a bit too far, that he was in Axiom too. So he was one of the Axiom guys. I mean, you know, and they were huge also. It hits overseas also. And he said they were overseas (laughs) and Warner Brothers had put them up in London and they were just, they were doing some recordings. You know, it was, this is really like 71, just before the dingoes. And they'd been put up in London. They got a house. They're just recording. They don't want him to do any gigs. And he goes, "This goes on for a year." I mean, can can you imagine the money spent? And he said, "Then what happens is, there was a wife and there was some girlfriends come over." He said, "That was that's it. That's when it all finished." He said, yeah. "They came over. People couldn't concentrate on the music, and it disintegrated. And you know, and when." At the Dingoes was a bit of a different story, but they had some similarities there because they then ended up being in Canada. um you know they'd done some big shows around and were being managed by Leonard Skinner's manager as soon as that plane crashed that was the end the end of that but um yeah. you know getting overseas was their prime objective because you you had to get to that that bigger audience, and it was really difficult to do it out of Australia. But you guys have definitely gone over and tested the uh, the land over in America and Europe by about eighty five. Would that be correct? Something like that, yeah. I think yeah. The the, the
1: label they're trying to get to go to England, but um, we I just sort of knew England would never work for us. Yeah. And it never on really a snare scale. But, um, oh. We
0: took a pair Yeah, I think you're American too, or you're German. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, the the is always really wanted to be different. Yeah. But, you know, we, we sort of, we, if I don't know, I don't I can not remember to take credit for anything, but we We'd probably need indie bands going to America. Yeah. You know, people would probably owe us a nod if they knew for doing it because, you know, we basically said, you go to England because the wants to not there in the town. United Airlines had some cheap deals to America. Were you know, I rang up. My brother was even in the States, I think. Oh, yeah. And I knew... He knew a bloke who was a muser nothing um, up in Boston, so I um, rang him, then he rang this guy Bud, who was a small manager, monitor, went on to the Sonic Youth and you know, then you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did pretty well out of the city, I think. But um, so he rang him up, and Bob rang around and did ring six venues. Two of them said, two or three of them said, "Who? What are you talking about?" And a couple of them said, "Get that band here as quick as you can." Yeah. So there was some interest so you could go over and do something. Deep. So we went and played big G's and Boston and um and Hobart and on the way to Europe and then went to Europe for a couple of months and then on the way back home did like a six or eight week US tour.
0: I mean I, I would have thought that you'd you, I, I would have thought you'd work well in Europe because the STEMs, for example, with Don Mariani, they worked well in Europe. And your Italy's your France and all that and Bra- obviously Brazil because uh, I love Australian surf, punk, rock. Um,
1: yes, would, we, are, we made it there every time. Every time we
0: were, you know, the promoter left money on the food before and then count Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I thought those two, but the UK, n- no way. I mean, I always felt that it was a lot easier in the mid-'80s, and I was working for Michael Gudinski at the time, um, and we had no success overseas whatsoever. I mean... Uh, mm. You know, everybody talks about he wanted the dream of the number one and all that. And in actual fact, he knew, you know, we had discussions on this many times and just had a bit of a chuckle about it, you know, trying to get a number one in America just, yeah, or a hit. Now, for example, we wasted a lot of money on Jimmy Barnes over there, got nowhere. Yep. But Indiax like yourself actually had a much better possibility of getting penetration in the American market. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There is no doubt about it. Whereas your more commercial acts, radio-friendly, accessible commercial acts, I think yeah. had virtually no hope at all. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the
1: ones who I think he'd bent that all out was probably the Edith Burns.
0: Yeah because they were,
1: they, were, they were sort of indie enough, but they had some major backing and they had the money spent on them and they had some songs that appealed. They, when we were sort of touring around, the American Circle would go
0: on of colleges and do this and that. The college kids couldn't for us. They were too full. The college the gurus, circuit radio was so influential in breaking the gurus.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they played that game beautifully and did really well. We did some college gigs and Bob worked out pretty quick. And we had a club. Room. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really like
0: the things liked most of the people who went to the bottom of the club. Yeah. We'd go through the college big and they just didn't know what else. They had no idea what to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. It was and like I, 20% of the audience loved it, but the rest of them just ran. I think where the rifles would have been an absolute sensation was on the Australian University circuit. And when I was at uni, we used to have bands every Friday, free of charge, because... We're very much a socialist country back then with labour in power. Mm. And so the the union, uh, the, the student union was extremely powerful and we used to pay yeah. our dues. Of course, we didn't pay any uni fees. And everything, yeah. we used to subsidise everything and we used to subsidise gigs every Friday. Now, this happened at every university in Melbourne and I know it happened in the state too. Um, yep. And so every Friday you had these massive gigs and... It was just mind-blowing and you guys would have just... I mean, the late 70s at 77 maybe to 80 uh, there. I think it all stopped after that because, you know, then I think the Libs came in and they started making university payables. Yeah, really.
1: um, that was before our time, so we couldn't... You amazing. would have
0: loved that time and you would have fitted in there perfect. It was just the perfect... Um, they were the perfect venues to break acts. It really was. And you would get 500 people to those gigs every Friday. Yeah. We We just used to chuckle. It was just so good. Um, but, therefore, you've gone overseas, you're testing the waters, you're getting back here. Are you getting disillusioned or are you as full-on as you yeah. were in the beginning at that mid-80s? Um,
1: depends on members of the band. After the first two, a couple of guys left, we got... Um, well, the they, they'd had enough of you, had they? Probably. Right. It, it's hard to know. I, I still remember the conversation with Damien that we had when these two guys came up and told us that they were going to leave the band and we said, why? And I said, because they're not getting anywhere. And we just said each other, you just toured Europe and America and a few years in Australia. And we're not getting anywhere. So we just sort of chuckled and
0: went, all right. Tell, tell me, <laughs> when when that was happening, at that very time, what how, how big was the audience that you were um, uh, capturing at gigs here in Australia? Would you get 300 people or a gig? Yeah,
1: yeah. What would have been happening that? Sometimes
0: more. That, I mean, and that um... is really good because if you think of the uh, – you probably never played the Prospect Hill. The Prospect Hill no. the Hotel here was one of our, you know, great venues – and that would only hold about a hundred and fifty, and if you know yep. that's what you'd pack out each week. Now to get three hundred is a big ask, you know. Yeah. And that's fantastic because remember back in those days too, you had your own crew, all that kind of stuff. It's not like today. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. you are paddling yeah, yeah. on. No, we were doing pretty
1: well. So yeah, I think there was a point. Where we reached saturation, we, when we did go overseas, we ordered, reached what we could do here without um, either someone putting some budget into it or whatever, or we just knew, I guess, we just knew, and like the only, the only future we really had is out of Australia for a while.
0: Yeah. And um. So what, so let's go to the next album. You, there's got to be a lot of, um, there's got to be a lot of uh, uh, head banging at the time to go, right, well, we've, we've done a couple, of two or three albums, we've, Tour it overseas, yeah. we've got an audience happening, what the hell do we do? How, you know, you do have to think like that to go, well, well what are we going to do? Yeah. Because we know we, we're successful and we want to be further successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had, we had a couple of tricky problems financially and we started doing Tajik and Asthma and a deal was reached with Albert where the, the bands on, oh, because Rod Cooper was there and a couple others, could go in on record it like a third of this studio, like, in the downstairs studio, mm. and they'd distribute us and do all this kind of stuff. So we gone halfway through Turkey, we and someone in the accounts department decided that it was a really bad idea and pulled the plug on it. So it was like, okay, you owe us two us for this, and you yes. have to then go and finish the record somewhere else because
0: you're not going to let you finish it here. I mean, so you, know, you didn't agree to any of that, did you? Oh, uh, there was nothing you could do about it. I mean, those rates back then, I, I can tell you when we were recording in the 84 to 91 period at Mushroom, yep. we were paying whether it be 301s or AAV down here or wherever, um, even Sing Sing later on, but you were paying $2,300 a day. I mean, yep. who pays $2,300 a day for a studio? Are you kidding me? So yeah, an I, album I, is 150000 before we blink. Yeah, yeah.
1: Now they, from memory, we were paying forty, forty bucks an hour, forty bucks an hour at Alberts. Yeah, that's cheap. But it did a really be deal. So when they pulled it, I was
0: like, yeah.
1: okay. So again, we had, we had to make copies of the tape because they were using a different much with Dolby and. Oh the yeah, up.
0: here we go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. And at the time, we made, yeah, go on. We, we got
1: smashed. so. That was the fund that we were going to use to go overseas and stuff like that. Because yeah, you know, basically the rifles pretty much funded everything we had to do. We took a long time before anyone coughed up anything for us to do anything.
0: What are hot, hot doing at the time? Are they they contributing or what are they? What, what's they're they're they?
1: They had their own struggle. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like they, had, they made them study, but there was a couple of deals. So i trying to pioneer a few things and two things in a row because the same thing happened, I think, at, um, at Sun, at Less at the time. They signed, a, they signed a distribution deal there to get the master and they pressed it
0: on.
1: Yeah. And like you'd notice that even in the major labels, one, one, one guy loses the job and you got company and he wants to assert his throne, So he just gets rid of everything from God. And oh,
0: mate, it. it was, yeah, look, that was, that was the good thing. At Dundas Lane, the mushroom is that it was always Michael. And so we, yep. we did see things through. There was – I remember about 88, 89, we were, me and him were talking and, and I said, we've got 32 acts. We had 32 local acts. And, yep. you know, it's not like Laneway having 90 acts where – well, a lot of them are old bands who uh, are not playing anymore, so it's quite easy. But when you've got 32 acts that are working – these are acts that have tried to become stars and it yep. just dwarfed anything else in the country. Nobody came close. And, um, you know, you there was about two or three where it went completely skew if kings of the sun <laughs> were, were one yep. and... Um, there was another band who had, I think it was Jackknife, but that was their song. But they were out of Sydney and they were just fantastic and we never even got the first album out. It was a disaster. So there's one or two that it didn't work. Um, but we really, we wouldn't just jettison bands that quickly. And, you know, yeah. like you said, someone comes in and just changes. Uh and just yes, is, you know
1: so i think that was what slammed them all the time from having a, a pressing distribution deal they suddenly had to earn $90,000, dollars or some amount of money with the time yeah so anything that would have funded any of our record went into that and we would we just stump up and do what we could do because we wanted to keep doing stuff so. and yeah, we had we had it in rain. Some of it was good, some of it wasn't and you know, it didn't end up anybody possibly, but you tried the stuff at the beginning and kept chugging on and the next step we we were in Europe and we made running beat party in Holland. Oh. So that was yep. Which was great studio. It was an exceptional studio with an amount of time. But that was basically you know the Dutch the guys who owned that studio. Yeah, and the ladies, i can't remember what they called, Duraco or something—they put our record out the trippards and stuff like that out, so they oh. owe a lot of money for the trippards. Yeah, so they concert studio time.
0: Well, I mean, you know, um, if if you go in, it, I find I find that management's a big issue with artists. Did you actually yeah. have management at all?
1: Um, we did, we did at some point. Yeah, you know, like that, and then and then we. Had, um, yeah, maybe managing us really the an issue is a really
0: dull idea. What? Oh, look at like a, Yeah, look, I mean, management's a big issue and it's so difficult yeah. to find honest management. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. And a, uh, I, uh, one that comes to mind all the time was the big agencies that were in Sydney, MMA and all those who would, you know, manage and then recall and everything went on and, you know, the models at the end of their career. I remember doing the final show at the Palace in Melbourne to about 1,800 people and the the band weren't even talking to each other, I didn't think. Um, But they did the show because they were in debt so far. I think they had $76,000 to pay off at the time, which the gigs did. They did that one tour and... And that was it. And I I couldn't understand with a band. Uh, the second album was a disaster. This is when James Freud joined. It was a disaster, the second one. And I thought it was better than the first record. But yep. it had all gotten heated internally as a band. But they, they'd they lost so much money on touring and living the lifestyle, it became so obvious. I used to see it on so, with so many acts and I used to pay them so much money and they still had no money. It was like living like kings, and just only the one or two smart ones, hunters were extremely smart about the whole thing and had a good manager, and, yeah. you know, they, they socked their money away. At one stage, the manager for the hunters came to see me one day and said, we're doing, we're, you know, we really want to push in America, and on the college circuit, they were quite big, and they, yeah. they were thinking of buying a house in America. That, that's how much money yeah. they had available and that they were making, and you know, and you know, we went through the the pros and cons and all that kind of stuff. And but it's very hard to find a manager like that. Very difficult. Yeah, we definitely didn't
1: have
0: one. You know, um, yeah, people tried, people did. Skin. We had a bit of bad luck.
1: We had some stupid stuff happen, and we did some stupid stuff. But yeah, it was the the, the challenge. The rifles was a band that with someone who had the mindset could have made us. Very,
0: very Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, yes. absolutely um, focused on that style of music directed to the right audience doing the right shows, socking the money away for the band, right? And that, and that requires a lot of honesty when you're socking away a lot of money. So let's say we're charging yeah. back in those days um, $10 a ticket, which was a lot of money. $10 a ticket yeah. and you're getting 300 people or sometimes 500 people, and there's a lot of money involved here and people get very slippery hands. And it, yep. yeah, but I agree with you. The rifles could have. Um, spy versus spy um, are probably another one that got to a point where they should have been huge and yep. it didn't. And as we know now, they are big in Brazil, big. Uh, these guys get a lot of streams. And, and of course, Michael's dead, but. If they were still all all alive, they could easily go over there and do a, a Rod Laver type show, yeah. um, which is ten thousand people. And so yeah. but it didn't happen, you know, it it just yeah. it's a sad story. So you guys are trucking on because um it just continues on. It's it you, it's like a bloody rolling train. So then there's a host of albums. So you never ever thought about breaking up, did you?
1: No, no, they, you know, you had discussions. we always just keep mucking on. The music was what drove me, and there was, there was a passion and understanding. And know, after 87, 88, we came back to Australia, and that was when we got on um true tone of AMI, because to his credit, I'll give Michael following that. He saw something, you know. Yeah. Thought he could do something about it. Yeah. It we went about it the wrong way, but they really they really sort of thought Oh, well, good. The li- good label.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, he did well a couple of people but was that blind I, ear blind ear yeah blind ear i mean that is a, an extremely professional record i mean it's polished that's a yep. that's a polished international sound the songs have been very i think carefully structured um, yep. um i know you wouldn't like it but they uh, based towards commercial bent there's no doubt about it that was a a record that could have gone in the realms of REM or anything, you know that real that indie sound that just became then a common uh, a commercial sound and yeah it had, had, it, had, it, all. had it all.
1: Yeah, we yeah, were either ahead had behind the time. That was that was our thing. We rarely landed it because you know he, when he when he was to shop that record to American. Yeah, he was about a year before Nirvana. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was Nirvana, was is completely wrong because yeah, you know, eighteen months later, two
0: years later. But I probably snapped. was an who wants to hear rock and roll? What year was that, 88, 89, 90? 89. 89? Yeah. yeah, I thought so because it was vinyl. I first saw it in a vinyl store. CDs weren't really taking off yet. They'd only just no. started. And I remember someone said, y- y- and I was at Mushroom, and someone said, you should listen to this. I go, oh, yeah, who are they? Uh, yeah, I had no idea because I was focused on our acts. Yeah, um, and, um yeah. and then I... Did Played it it. well. That's true, and and I played it, and I went, "Wow, this stuff's this is really polished." It's um, and it was. It was that was a world class record. So yeah. Um, so obviously, it doesn't do the big business, but I, I thought it did quite good business, didn't
1: it? It did good business for us, but it didn't do good enough for EMI or any of that. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was very, you'd know better than me. It was very system, you know, Like he tried to do some promotion, so it's like, you know, we, we made a couple of wonderful surfboards because we were known as the surf scene. yeah. <laughs> So there was a giveaway to get uh, film clip played on television or whatever it was, and they said, "No, no, it's not enough. You got to give away a trip it's to Hawaii wow.
0: well, That's insane. Yeah. That's just insane. It, that was all the shit
1: that you could go on just just to get one song point. You know, that was that was how yeah, the yeah, yeah. industry at that particular time.
0: And I, I think that um, I would have thought that you know at the time it was a, a double J or triple J uh, song. And uh, or yeah. you know, that's where it should have fitted, should have been big there. They were pulling about eight percent then. They're yeah. probably pulling 0. 0 or 002 of a percent now. They're totally irrelevant. And um yeah. and they were they could break a band and you actually didn't need to be on the commercial FM stations. You could be actually broken from triple J and mate you'd be pulling a yeah. thousand people to every show. Well we would do that. We did a uh, we did a yeah,
1: but we got quite successful as a live actor. You know, the thing sold. It just didn't sell like the, if it had sold three times as much, we'd have probably gone on to all kinds of stuff. But, you know, okay. I don't really know. So, it, what, it, it so well for us, but it wasn't, a, a, it didn't sell enough to take us that step above the 500. Yeah. So where, where, is when?
0: where do we go to after that? So true tone, are we still with true tone or we move on? True
1: Tone, I think his DS goes through um, with them, so then he ended up at Festival for a couple of records.
0: Oh, with well, Jim White, okay. Um, yeah, uh, the Festival, that, that,
1: I mean Festival were great because they were very artist friendly. Yeah. Absolutely. The artists, you they kind of, Damien had a few time
0: terms. Did you record at their studios in Sydney? We did. Not the record, not that anything. It
1: was under refurbishment. I don't know if was done in a different studio.
0: Yeah, okay. And so yeah. so that that's where it's tailing out there. So um, yeah. how were you feeling about life at that stage?
1: I, mean, I don't know. I was still, yes, we were trying to do some stuff. We were liking good songs. Yeah. I I was, a the was sick, wasn't my favorite recording. We got Rob into produce. It wasn't that I was concerned that I wasn't doing it anymore. Was
0: that Rob so Younger?
1: Was, yeah, Rob came and did it. And there was stuff went on behind the scenes with the management and Rob and Damon and stuff. They wanted to try and aim towards the Triple M thing. Oh, and I'd yeah. been trying yeah. to news with the agent, but he used to spend a lot of time
0: out of Australia. And we thought, you're fucking mad, you know? That, that was never going to happen. Triple M, it was well, never going to happen was, with you guys.
1: I'm never going to play it, but they made a record to sound like that. Well, we made it, we needed to make a tougher yeah. Because Sound the and because Soundgarden and McArvin the people who are popular around the world and then it was focused on Triple M in Australia, and I feel like you're, you're going to yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: It's a good record, but it's not the record we should have made at the time. Yeah. Right.
0: So then has Damo done his solo record by that stage? Um, sometime around then. Yeah. So he's gone off and done that Um which, again, didn't yep. set the world on fire, I didn't think, but um, no. uh, good enough for good enough it. So yeah. Now, the second
1: one, the that was a good hit. Now, that did quite well.
0: Well, the one you go and do, is it in Italy where you do that live album with another band? I did a bunch of stuff. What's the one, the, the one we released? Oh, the Grigio. That's Tupac the Graves. Um, that was Spain.
1: That Spain? was a lot later.
0: Now, that to me yes. has got to be, uh, that is a fantastic recording, fantastic energy fantastic playing it is just great who were the guys they were a bunch of punk guys there's um, a
1: couple of guys wild guys who went into the North Carolina as so they become a big surf band around the
0: world
1: yeah um, so there was uh, a few a few bits So it's just basically a uh, Spanish Spanish indie hierarchy
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah a mate one show who I'd known from booking the eighty tours and stuff like that. And um just went from there and he just rang out one day. I got this idea you could do a, an Australian yeah. indie tour around Swan So I went over there
0: and did that. And it was, and and it was successful, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played about an in indie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, so, anyway, it, it didn't set the world on fire, but
0: was good. So we you're doing this and you got Yargi, of course, uh, which yep. you are doing in between all of this. And, yeah, and there was In the middle of all that, that that's right, that's right. So there is a lot of that, and there is a lot of records there that Ken Stevens played on. So therefore, you get up to um, today, and we know the passing of Demo. So that's kind of the end of um, of the rifles, in a sense, and from you know from (laughs) live performances, I mean. Um, Yep, and. Therefore, what are your projects at the moment? Um, Currently, the radio cast Yep, with Ben and with uh, and with um, Russell, and that's in. I suppose the flavour of indie uh, is it indie punk or indie rock? What would you think? Don't know. I've probably I've never been able to label myself with anything. And then you oh, got yeah. um, you got Deep South that you you're working. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, Anna who's from Spain. Yeah, bring us up. And um, and then you've got the all the Kent material coming out. And that's. Yep. Uh, I was only just listening to to one just this morning, and what was I? listening? I was listening to the thing is now that's a rocking yep. song, and I mean it gets back yep. to the rifles, and um, yep. and as I I know you so well is you're doing all the recording yourself. You've you yep. got a home studio and you've taught yourself how to do the lot and it. That yep. means you can be prolific. The days of the studio, which kind of unaffordable, are becoming fewer and fewer. And what do you think yeah. that liberation has given you, Kent, to be able to play and record your own music?
1: Uh, musically, it's great. For other reasons, it's it's tricky. But yeah, it's it's assisted my sanity absolutely. And and just you know, it kept me me in because you know there's, there's no gigs to be done. So no. Um, I'm jamming a bit, you know, we get going with Jim Adini and the family dog again at some point. But he's going to
0: busy for a couple of years. So he's going to be, just... he's going to be, oh, he's been busy for a couple of years or he's going to be busy? Yeah. No, He was busy doing, you know, work oh, yeah, on yeah, yeah. yeah, okay.
1: That's fun. Um, so yeah, I spoke to him the other day. We're trying to finish another album, of course. Yeah, that may do some gigs later in the year. We'll see. But yeah, they, it's been a liberation, just it's it giving me some musical outlet, and you know, it's it's fun to do. I I'm quite happy doing it, and you know, I have no expectation. Poor I'm deaf ears in most cases, but it's um, well, it if, just keeps me going. Interesting go.
0: If I have a look at your catalog, let's just use Spotify, and you know, all, yep. the, all the songs are getting in the thousands, mm. um, but I. I talk to a lot of young acts now who might have one or two songs in the thousands and they have everything under a thousand and they wonder yep. what they're doing wrong. And it's incredible how there's this form of, I find, form of entitlement in that yep. you know you've got to put in the real hard yards. You've, you've yep. got to treat this like a job. This is a job. You, want, uh, you know, so um, I know you're not big on it, but at your age it's very difficult to be big on it, is social media, okay? But when you're 20 years old or you're 25, um, all the opportunities are there and you yep. part of that job is you have to do your social media. You've got to do your yep. recording regularly. I, I talk to a lot of artists about you've got to have a release every, say, six weeks, which you do deliver on on many fronts. Um, yep. And a lot of bands do it for two or three songs and then they can't deliver. And then they go. But yeah. We're not getting the listens now. I go, but yeah, you had some momentum. You've just lost it all because there's another thousand bands in between you. And yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> Whereas if you strip it back to 1985, um, it was a real profession. It was a job. We had yep. we had people we had to feed. We had a truck. Yep. We had equipment. You know, yep. you know, we did our tours, and it was a real job. And okay, it's transitioned to a digital world. But the principles of it being a job have not changed and Correct. they find it really difficult and it gets that laziness that is, well, maybe a major might sign us. And then yep. you're getting into the realms of that commercial craziness of, um, I saw, I, saw I, I did see a picture of, I won't even name the artist this morning, a female artist who'd painted her face up and was doing the whole thing and it, you know that where they're going for that real shock effect? Yep, and you know, so I had to listen to music, and I thought, well, it's I, I just can't get it. But yep. there's this whole commercial bent, and it changes everything. But that's the one in a million. So you've yep. got to get back to it's a job. You need to write. You need to hone a craft of writing. And yeah, so uh, well,
1: it's I, I see it as an art. It's, it's not a job to me anymore because it's, music's always been an art form. That's probably why I never really made any money at it. Because yep. It was about and what was the best music at the time that we was in our realms to do rather than focus on anything other
0: than that. Yeah. yeah but, you know, you you say that because you go, well, it's an art, but in actual fact what you were doing was you were working a job. You were. Yeah. We're, we're you know, and it, sure. I find that it very difficult with a lot of the younger bands today. Uh, and then they go, can you get us a, the first thing they'll say to me, can you get us a gig? Or what yeah. can you do for us? I now say, what can you do – for laneway because... Yeah, yeah. Well, in
1: fact, that is the difference, I guess, that in time with We knew we had to do everything. To the
0: yeah, you know, what can you do for way? Because first I need to see that you're actually treating it the right way and then, yes, we can actually deliver back. But it can't be all laneway's way because we, we can't do it. If we're doing everything and you're not doing any social media, it doesn't work, you know. Yep. And can you get us a gig? Well... We're not booking agency. We're not a booking agency. And every time we yep. do do gigs, I get totally stressed out because everybody wants to be on the gig. So you yep. know, there's everything that goes with it, and they've really got to to learn to settle down, have a plan, and I go through the plan with them. But very few can follow through with it. It's incredible the limited amount that can actually follow through. Yeah. And then some of them will go. We'll do that ourselves. We could do all that. And then years later, you have a look, and they're no longer existing, and you know it just doesn't go any further. Yeah. But I, I think you would have seen it all. And I think as an artist now, your craft is so well developed. You deliver a lot of product, and I think it it shows through with with your audience. And you know, yeah. well, you know, you're putting your your videos together too, and it. I think it's a testament to what you've. Um, what you've delivered to the Australian music scene, and, and what some sort of rifles have delivered to the Australian music scene, it's been a, it's been, I, I think you could say, been a wild ride. You know, massive and that actually fun a lot of the time, but um, a lot of personal and interpersonal challenges and get stuff. You
1: know, as you said before, an relationships relationship, things like that. But it's what your passion is.
0: I've uh, I never considered what I've done a job because I've had such a good time my whole life in entertainment yes. and um, I would consider you'd been in the uh, in the same boat. That it's just been yes. an absolute joy. Could you imagine yes. going to an office each day and being a data entry input kind of person? So you sit there on a computer and input data. Yes. Well, I might as well slash my wrist because I couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of people can. I can't. I can barely put input data into putting my own songs up. <laughs>
0: so well look it's been a pleasure talking to you kent and it's been um, a fantastic journey to see there was a lot in there we've gone over an hour um yep. and we could go further but uh it'll be good to talk to you probably at the end of the year and see what's happened with all the releases in uh 223 and we'll talk to you soon thanks
1: man.
0: okay thanks Kent. Bye. And then everyone. bye bye and there it is another laneway Talks. G'day folks, Mark Allen here and The Ox, David Schwartz uh, And we've started a brand new podcast called A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers And we're just chewing the fat Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With Ox and Marco I'm thinking about whitening my teeth Just so when I smile There's a new episode every Wednesday Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do <laughs> It's a stupid <laughs> to question A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With David Schwartz and Mark Allen I'm eating the kids' Maltese You're piece eating a Christmas present I am a piece of garbage <laughs> Listen wherever you get your
1: podcasts